Uh, well, the offering basket's going around. Uh, I don't want to go into overdrive, uh, overselling, hyping, sort of uh, uh, info commercial mode. But I, I have a promise today that I want to read to you from God. And it's one of those amazing promises that is eye-opening. We're going to unpack it. It's eye-opening because it's, it's so broad and it's so inviting. Uh, in fact, it's one of these pa- passages that if you have a, a note card at home, you should write this passage and put it on your uh, refrigerator. Because, and every day you'll look at it and just ponder it. Uh, and it's Psalm 4610. I'll read it to you. And uh, if you didn't get an outline and you want an outline, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. But we, we were handing some out. Anybody not get one? Okay, good. It's in the outline there. And it says, Be still and know I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So this was... Uh, spoken to a people who uh, were used to being sort of in the, the center of turmoil. And the psalm is, is a, it, it's sort of the high point of this promise where God says, you know, I have something for you and I, I want to bring it to you. And so he, this, this, it's this simple promise. I want to reveal myself to you. And he gives them a simple condition. And he says, be still. Be still. Now, that Hebrew word, be still, uh, if you unpack it, it, it means to be quiet, to relax. Uh, in some places, it's translated, stop. Be quiet. Compose yourself. Rest. And then it gives us this rich, the, the promise, the key words or the punchline is if, you're, if you learn to be still, God says, you will know me. And that word know there uh, was made famous in a Seinfeld episode, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> you guys remember that? Some of us that are a little older, back in the 90s when they had that show called Seinfeld. And, and uh, yada... They didn't pronounce it right. Yada in Hebrew means to know personally by experience. And it also has a, a connotation of sexual intimacy. So it's not knowing about through a report or secondhand. It means to know about through a very personal and direct encounter. So God was saying, when there's turmoil all around you, or when there's just noise and activity, and, and sometimes that's overwhelming, if you will choose to be still, I will reveal myself to you. Now, when God reveals himself to you, he just didn't say, hey, I'm God. <laughs> just want to let you know I'm around. It's a little more profound than that. And it's so immediately relevant to where we are at that moment in our life. And so we want to look at this for a second. And the be still part is 
if you unpack it, uh, it, it became widely understood. It, it, I mean, before that passage was written, it was written because they had this wisdom in Israel, because they'd seen it in, in all their heroes of faith. They knew that if you practice solitude and silence as, as a spiritual practice, as a rhythm in your life, that God would become more real to you. When you already have a relationship with Him, if your relationship tends to be shallow and, and lack depth and lack that immediate reality that you hear with other people, this is probably, and I, we waited to introduce this the last week because this is probably the most important for our time spiritual discipline to get a hold of because of the pace of our lives. And so if you practice being still, which means regularly being silent and taking time to be alone, giving God the gift of time and attention, undistracted time and attention away from other things, Carving time out of your busy schedule and the demands of your life that pull you this way and pull you that way. If you just regularly say, God, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to be quiet away from people and I'm going to listen to you. I'm not going to talk. I'm just going to give you my attention. If you do that, this, this promise, it's, it's very clear in this promise, but it's, it, this is repeated many, many times in the Bible. And it's why so many people in the Bible practiced solitude and silence as, as a, a regular part of their life. It's because they saw the impact of this on their life. So I want you to take this away with me. This is the, the take-home point. Being still makes God real. Okay, so you repeat it with me. Being still. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's. Thank you, okay. It's really simple. Being still, practicing solitude and silence, giving God time in your life, undistracted, giving Him your undistracted attention where you don't talk. There is a time, as Ecclesiastes says, for everything. There is a time to, to talk to God. But we're too quick to talk and too slow to listen. I mean, we're that way with one another. It's even more important with God. God's got a lot to say to us. And most of the time, we just don't stop and give Him time to speak to us. So we want to explore that today. Now, why is this a crucial condition? Can't God just download this stuff to us even in the middle of our busy lives? I mean, isn't God big enough to, like, make it work? Because, you know, we've got a lot of stuff that we're about. Can't God, like, just give it to us? And it just kind of comes in there, and one day you go, wow, I know God better. I was, like, out, uh, you know, working on some project, and all of a sudden I know God better. That isn't how it works. That's not how any relationship works, is it? Why would it be different in our relationship with God? If our relationships with people require time and interaction and listening to really grow and deepen, why do we think that we don't have to invest something precious to deepen our, our relationship with God? So, Jesus said in Mark 10, 
that we can't enter or experience his kingdom, which is God's rule in our lives. It's God becoming real to us. He says, you can't experience that. And he said this in all the Gospels, maybe except for John, unless you're willing to become like a child. So what he's saying is, childlikeness, there's something about children that gives us a message that teaches us a condition to getting to seeing God become real to us. Now, the main job children have for much of their lives is communicating the needs that they have to those that take care of them, their parents and others, right? And I, was, I just reread it this morning. Uh, there's about 20 different things that kids do within the first few days of their life there's signals that they send to their parents to draw their parents in to take care of them because they can't say, hey, you, stop watching TV. Come here, change the diaper, right? Hey, I'm sick. I'm starting to feel sick. I can feel my temperature going up. You're distracted with your cell phone. Get over here. They don't, have, you had, have you ever had one of your kids say that? No. But you know what they do? They send these subtle little signals because that's their job. And that's our job all the way through our life because we always need other people and we need God. But here's why practicing stillness is so crucial in our relationship with God is we get distracted and we get out of touch with our own hearts and our lives. And we don't know how to go like this to God. We don't feel what we need. We just are in this mode of going through life. We're getting pulled here. We're getting pulled here. We're getting pulled here. And our hearts are cut off from our, our own person. You ever realize one day that you're, you're, you're zipping through life and all of a sudden you go, wow, my back hurts. And it, and it really been hurting all day long, but you're, you know, your day was so busy. When, when you finally slow down, you go, wow, my back is really sore. Have you ever done that? You think, how could, I, how could I be that busy? We have an incredible capacity to be distracted. It is profound, the, our ability to be distracted. And so... God in his wisdom gives us all these opportunities to just center and be quiet and begin to get in touch with our own hearts. Because what attentiveness does is it begins to get you in touch with God. It begins to get you in touch with other people. And it begins to get you in touch with your own heart. And believe it or not, one of Satan's most Useful tactics is to encourage that natural tendency to be distracted in us because then we don't recognize our need and we don't open ourselves up to God and we miss this promise, this invitation from God. In fact, let, let's, let's move into thinking of it this way. God, like, like my friend Robbie Dawkins likes to say, God loves us. He is pursuing us. Because he wants a relationship with us. And we are so busy, we don't recognize 
his invitation, and he's inviting us every day. And there, there are literally dozens of texts all the way through the Bible. And one of the most familiar ones is in the book of Revelation, where Jesus is described by John as coming to the, to the church, one of the churches, and knocking on the door and saying, could I come in? Now, it sounds silly. Isn't, isn't the church, the people of God who are gathered to honor him and respect him? It is. But sometimes we can so be going through the motions of our lives that he's not a part of them. We're just going through the religious motions. And Jesus is going, hello, I'm on the outside. But, you know, you can have your TV loud enough not to hear the door knock, can't you? You can have your iPhone. You, you, you don't have to have any noise. You can be so focused on something that you can't hear Jesus knocking. And so being still is cultivating this part of your soul where you begin to hear from God more clearly. You begin to connect with people and who they are and, and God speaking to you through them. And you begin to hear your own heart. Because it is a tendency that we have to be aware of that we tend to disconnect in our, our own souls because we face things that overwhelm us and if we can't handle them, we just kind of open the closet in our soul, throw them in there. It's like the house is a little messy, people are coming over, we don't have time to clean it up. We just grab all the stuff and throw it in the closet, close the door. And we hope that they don't go in there to put their coat in there, Right? <laughs> We tend to just move forward without resolving things. But they don't go away. And we're in some situation in our life where something upsetting happens and those things just join the mix and, and make the whole situation worse because we haven't resolved them because we're out of touch with what's really in our hearts. Have you ever done that? You ever had that? Thank you. There's a couple of honest people here. Or self-aware. Not that you aren't honest. Many of us are honest, but we're not very self-aware. And so this, this, I mean, there, there, uh, we could take time to unpack so many benefits that come from solitude and silence. I mean, if you have writer's block, if you get stuck, this is one of the ways that you can get unstuck. It takes a while because when you practice solitude and silence, you are letting go of control. And you're letting God work at his pace. You're letting your soul sometimes rest. You know, Israel, they didn't like the Sabbath laws. Like, we don't like to take rests. And at one point, things got so bad in Israel and the land stopped being fruitful and God exiled the Jewish people and he said, I have to give the land rest because you have used it up because you haven't rotated crops and let the land rest. They just drove the land like they drove themselves. And we're going to talk about this later this year. We have to learn to embrace the gift of limits. We all have limits. But in America, we've been bread on this, if your mind can 
conceive, you can't achieve. All things are possible. And we just go, 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 don't we? And with each new app that we put on our phone that we think is going to help our life become more efficient and easier, just like all the technology over the last 30 years that has just come into our world and in, and in many ways improved it, you would think that if, if, if we have technology that can help us to do a job quicker and more efficiently, that that would give us more time to rest. You would think that. That's what the owners of corporations tell you as this new technology is introduced. This is going to make everything better. And then you have to work a little longer. Why are we working longer if this technology is so good that it will make us more efficient? Because we'll find something else for you to do. And we like that. Because part of it is, we don't like to stop and be quiet. Because when we do, we become aware of things that, that are, make us feel uncomfortable. And we're going to explore that before we leave. I want to look in a story uh, in the Old Testament. In 1 Kings, uh, there's a prophet named Elijah. And if you've read the Bible much, you've heard of this guy. Uh, and I just want to see you this, I want to show you how being still looks in, in, in someone's life, how they practiced it, and, and then what it produced in his life. So in, in 1 Kings 19, we're going to kind of skim over it to one little section. It starts with, uh, there has been a, uh, this big public kind of power encounter where Elijah challenged the false prophets and uh, God showed up, and, and all the people began to, to follow the Lord again. Uh, the nation began to turn back to, to its genuine faith, to it, the one true God. But not everybody was happy with that. And one of the kings, Ahab, and his wife Jezebel, who were particularly antagonized by Elijah, when after uh, they heard about Elijah's uh, dramatic power encounter with all the prophets of Baal and how God showed up, they didn't want to serve God. And so they threatened Elijah's life. In fact, Jezebel, here's what she said. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah and said, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of those prophets that was killed, the false prophets. So it says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And so he goes on this journey, and he's exhausted, and he's discouraged, and God provides this supernatural provision for him. And at a certain point, he asks his servant, who was like the next prophet in training, just stay here. And Elijah traveled across country to this mountain called Mount, Mount Horeb. And so in verse Nine, it says there he went into a cave and spent the night. Now, he, for about 40 days, he was alone. And he was traveling across the wilderness from, from where this scene with the prophets happened to Mount Horeb. And he goes into a cave. And this is where the, this, this discipline of being still works out in his life. He's already been in solitude for 40 days. And now he goes into a cave. And this is what happens when we begin to practice solitude. It's like we're shutting other things out. Now he's on his own out in the wilderness. But now he's going into a kind of seclusion and solitude 
where he's con- he, he wants to connect with God in a, in a deeper way because his life is on the line here. So it says, he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. And this is one of the things that God does. And you'll see in this section, God speaks to him twice. And God asked him two que- the same question twice. God will speak to you when you're still and you practice solitude. But they are questions that are unsettling questions. And God will keep asking. If he doesn't get the right answer from you like he didn't get from Elijah, he'll keep asking the question. Because God's trying to get into some area of our lives where we need to hear from him, where he needs to become real to us. So Elijah answered. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Like God doesn't know. God knows. But he's trying to have this interaction with Elijah. And he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Elijah's name means the Lord is my God. So he was, he was, his very name was emblematic of someone who, was, who took his relationship with God seriously. He was standing up for God when nobody else would. He risked his life over and over and over. He says, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Then the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Whoa. So Elijah's in the cave. So he walks out of the cave and he stands somewhere on the mountain. And it says, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice, this is what we titled this today, Hearing the Voice. This message is about hearing the voice. The voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? His reply said the same thing to him. And the Lord said to him, go back the way you came, go to the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all those whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. And so Elijah, he's running for his life. So here's the scene. He's running for his life. He has this moment in time where he spends a night in a cave, and he's been in in solitude, and as far as we can see, silence for 40-plus days. And then God had come and draws near to him. And, And in that moment... He's, as he's practicing being still, like Jesus practiced solitude and silence and Moses and David and every, almost every single person of distinction in Scripture did this. And in history, and all their lives display the same benefits from it. And so Elijah learned to distinguish God's voice. Now, we know God can be in anything. 
God can speak to us in anything, at any time, in any place. But it says the message that God had for Elijah wasn't in this, this wind, this earthquake, or this fire. And because Elijah, Elijah had cultivated this attentiveness in his soul, when he heard this gentle whisper, he pulled a cloak up, which is a picture of devotion and, and you know, respect to God. He pulled it over his head and he, and he came further out of the cave and he bowed down because he knew God was going to speak to him. And then God asked him another question because God always probes us. He's always probing our hearts. Not to wag his finger at us, but he's trying to help us to offload things that we're carrying around that, that really aren't good for us. And at this point, he tells Elijah, he, he draws near to Elijah. So Elijah has this fresh experience of God's greatness and God's love and God's regard for him. Because Elijah was saying, listen, I feel, I feel like you've let me down. Look at all I've done for you. And it's like, Nothing good's come of it. I've suffered, and I'm frustrated, and I'm upset. And where are you? You know, I'm the only one that's, that's on your side. And God tells him, you're not. You know, I've got lots of people. The word 7,000 there is like a symbolic number. Him saying, I've got lots of people in Israel that are following me now. You, you've been, you know, doing good work for me. But you're running from something. And so he tells him, I want you to go back right where they're threatening your life. And you're going to go back with my word with you. And I want you to anoint this king and this king and this prophet. And the grace that has been on you is going to multiply. And this encounter with God, he came away from this encounter with God. And it says, if you keep reading the story, the narrative... He was filled with confidence and boldness. So he went from fear and frustration and anger and hurt to waiting before the Lord. And the Lord spoke to him and drew all this stuff out. And then God met him. And the fear just melted away. And confidence came in his heart. Because if you're still, when God reveals himself to you, when the voice comes... It changes you. We, we call this series Saying Yes to Transformation. Because when we practice these spiritual practices, they bring us into intimacy with God. They position us for the grace of God. Because we live in a body. And every one of these spiritual disciplines, any one that you read, they're all about engaging your whole person. Not just in your head. Not just your spirit. Many times that's why God isn't real to us because... God is just an abstraction. And your real life and who you are and how you live is not brought under the lordship of Jesus. Like, the Jews knew what these represented was their homes and their lives. And when Jesus came along, when God comes along, because He loves us, He pursues us, he wants a relationship with us. That relationship includes our lives, every part of us, not just like some little part of our heart. Like that isn't significant. Our whole person, every part of us is meant to be engaged by God, to, to experience God, to know God, to, ref, to reflect God. 
your money, your communication, your sex life, your friendships, your family, how you work, every part of you. And the people got it. When the king comes, kings want to know, do you really want me? Now, he's coming with his army. Jesus was coming on a donkey. He was the king of kings. But this is what God wants to speak into is your whole life. And so, Elijah is filled with confidence and the takeaway today is, I want you to hear this, so, so look, rehearse this and we'll close. When we're still before God, when we practice solitude and silence, and we, when we give God the gift of time and our attentiveness, our undistracted attentiveness, where we get away from noise, we get away from people, we even get away from our own voice, and we just listen to God for an extended period of time, God says, I will reveal myself to you and you will change. When we become still, God becomes real. Now the question is, why do we so involve ourselves with activity and business and noise with that kind of a promise on the table? There's really two reasons. But each of these have very, very personal little manifestations in your life. One is the world around us, because we're social creatures, creates a rhythm that we start getting into. And we start marching to that rhythm. And it's not always a bad rhythm. Should you work hard at work? Absolutely. It honors God. God made us to work six days a week. And he said there's fulfillment in that. But that rhythm that the world sets is off also in significant ways out of rhythm with the rhythm of God. And so we have to consciously and constantly and consistently listen for the rhythm of God so that we can march with that rhythm. And it will set up tension between us and the rhythm of those around us. So sometimes it's an unconscious thing. We just don't realize the boom, boom rhythm of the world in which we live is something that's natural. And it's, we're supposed to be suited for it and be a part of it. But we recognize it's fallen. It's not what God wants. And there's many times where it's actually completely inconsistent with what God wants. But if, if we just live in that rhythm... And, and we never question it. And we never listen to God and say, what are you saying, God? What should I be doing? What is your rhythm for my life? Then we will find ourselves out of step with God too. But we'll oftentimes be oblivious to that because we're not giving him enough time. Secondly, we choose to fill our lives with noise and busyness and activity because we want to drown something out inside us. And that's the thing that you have to sort out with God. I'm just going to leave that idea out. It's, it's, it's not a theme we haven't explored many times here at the Vineyard. It's a, it's a very biblical theme that God looks at the heart, not the outside. And that many times we run from what's in our hearts. Because it's inconvenient, it's hard. Maybe God is 
having some controversy with us about our lifestyle, our choices, our attitudes, you know, something in us that he's saying, you know, I'm not pleased with that. Or maybe we have hurts and offenses and wounds and pain, and we just can't, we don't want to deal with it. And so it's just easy to fill our lives with noise. Not bad noise, but just good noise. I mean, there are people who who listen to worship music too much because it can become a diversion. Worship? God's a diversion? There, you know, the Bible says that in heaven there are points where there's just nothing going on. There's just complete silence. Even in heaven, even around the throne of God, there's, there's moments where everything stops. And when it gets quiet, it's amazing. Just be quiet just for 10 seconds here and just note all the things that you probably aren't aware of right at this moment, just for a second. The, the low hum of the amplifiers, you know, some kids over here in the nursery. You know, your, your own breathing, maybe the breathing of the person next to you. All of a sudden, your own thoughts. You start, you know, thinking about what's next. Is John going to ever finish? <laughs> maybe. You keep thinking like that, I can go a long time. <laughs> but, but seriously, and I've proven it, right, many times? So it's not an empty threat. It's, it's not an empty threat. <laughs> but I want to ask you to do two things now. We close. One is, now I, I do want to add a caveat. Just being quiet is not the way you know God. It's the way you know God if you already have a relationship with God because of your faith in Jesus. If you have never invited Jesus into your life and surrendered your life to him, you can be still till the cows come home and you will become aware of why you need God in a profound way but it will not is there's no technique that gets you closer to God this is not a technique this is a a spiritual discipline that's practiced by those who've already like Elijah the Lord is God if the Lord isn't your God because you've made him your God through faith in Jesus He loves you. You're infinitely valuable and precious and important. And in in one sense, you're one of his children. But the message of the Bible is, all we like sheep, like like the prophet Isaiah said, all we like sheep, God is our shepherd, but we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. That is the bad news. And the consequences of that are too many to describe except that it wrecks our lives and it, and it wrecks the lives of other people. And so God says, if you go your own way, I will let you go your own way, but you will be under my discipline and my judgment. And it will, it will lay on your life as a sentence. You've gone your own way. You've chosen to be apart from me. But when we get quiet sometimes... Like, there were moments in my life before I came to Christ where I had moments of, of, of solitude, not self-imposed, but just in circumstances in life, and I, I became aware of this emptiness in my life, this loneliness in my life, this pain in my life, and I didn't really ever consider that God would have any answer to that. 
Except that solitude and silence made me very unsettled. And I would find in those moments, I would shake it off and chase after a new girl. Or, you know, be busy in some activities, college or whatever. And, but it never filled that need that I became aware of in those moments of silence and solitude. So you might be here and go, you know, when I get silent, I become unsettled. Well, if that's where you are, God wants to make himself real to you. But it requires that you surrender your life to him. It requires that you say that, like we say in, when we read the Apostles' Creed, we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in his, Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. And the third day he rose from the grave. And he, wrote, he did all that for us because we, like sheep, had gone astray. And the rest of that passage I quoted in Isaiah is like, it says this. We, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us to our own way. It's very poetic, very lyrical. But God has caused the judgment for us all to fall on him. And the hymn is a mystery. The Messiah is the subject of this whole chapter, this whole long section in Isaiah. It's the servant, the Lord's servant, who bears the sin and the wanderings of everybody so they don't have to bear them. So he is crushed by what was crushing them. So when you put your faith in Jesus, Jesus takes what's crushing you off of you and he bears it for you. Now, he's already borne it, but what happens in this moment is what he did for you now becomes meaningful to you. But if you don't put your trust and faith in him, if you don't take the palm frond that represents your house, your life, everything you value, all that, that you depend on, and you don't lay it down before him, or more, more importantly, at the cross and say, Jesus, what... You did there for you did for me. And I put my trust in you that through what you did, I can now know God. And when I'm still, now I can begin to come into the, God's embrace and his love and his forgiveness and his tenderness and his provision. And that my life will have a completely new direction. I'll go on a new journey with him. So that's the invitation. That's the first invitation. The second invitation is, I want to encourage you, as we, as we close in prayer right now, that God wants you to ask yourself a question. Because I believe he's prompting me to ask it to you. He, is, he loves you, and he is pursuing you. And he wants a deeper relationship with you than you have with him now. But he is asking you this question that he wants to show you if you don't know what the answer is. And, and the answer, here's the question. Why do we, or two questions, why do we avoid giving God the gift of our time and our attention? And why do we choose to fill our life with noise and distraction and uninterrupted activity? Why are you doing that? Because my guess is there's not any of us here that aren't guilty of that, that aren't making that foolish decision.
what we're going to do to close is we're going to just have a